Hello and welcome to the CDO Magazine interview series. I'm Jason Brandt, Managing Partner and Commercial Officer for Stagwell Technologies. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Simon Nuss, Vice President of Data Solutions at Hitachi Solutions Canada. Hey, Simon, thanks for joining us today. Good to be here, Jason. Thank you. Awesome. Hey, so let's just start off by hearing a little bit about yourself and your role at Hitachi Solutions. Yeah. So yeah, my name, as you said, is Simon Nuss. I'm the VP of Data Analytics here at Hitachi Solutions. Uh, my accent is Australian and I'm based out of Toronto, Canada. So I've been in the data and analytics space for 10 to 15 years now. Um, I, I began my career doing dimensional data modeling, which is just a fancy way of saying that I like wrangling complex data into more easy to use uh, SQL tables. Um, you know, more broadly, this is known as data warehousing. Um, and I've done this over the years for some of the largest and most complex organizations on the planet. Uh, Facebook, Deloitte, many of the big name banks, um, quite a lot of investment funds in the last couple of years, and even internally here at Hitachi Solutions. Um, so that's you know me professionally. Uh, outside of my job, I'm the moderator of the Power BI subreddit, and that's one of the largest and most amazing communities of uh, data experts that I've ever worked with. And they have about, uh, I think we're about 200 members short of 90,000 right now as of this recording. So we've got that milestone upcoming. And I would imagine in about two or three months, we'll hit that 100,000 mark, which is very big for, for Reddit. Um, so that community is going gangbusters. But um, yeah, specifically here at Hitachi Solutions, I lead a team of consultants specializing in the uh, the collection and the democratization of data assets effectively. So data warehousing. And that means capabilities like data engineering, data ops, data governance, report development, training, of course. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm also technical by nature as well. So what I mean by that is I can go as deep in any discussion around the data stack, performance optimization, SDLC, architectural best practices, while also bridging those conversations with leadership, with non-technical leadership. So yeah, suffice to say, still technical to this day um, and very deep in the whole data warehousing space. Amazing. Perfect. Thank you so much for that. So um, obviously we're talking data today and we're going to talk data and technology and AI and a bunch of stuff. So you know, let's start broadly um, and uh, talk about data as a term. So one of the things that Stagwell Technologies believes, and I'm sure you do as well, is there's almost this, how should I say it, undefinable relationship between data and technology, kind of like chicken and the egg. Both are critical, well, which drives which, which came first. Um, and as important as data is, for example, I feel data as a word has become sort of the new quote unquote digital. It means everything and by default, it actually can mean nothing if not properly defined and utilized um, so that companies can take advantage of it, properly invested it and so on. So first question is, do you feel enterprises right now have a grasp on how to think about data as a strategic weapon and then how to organize themselves to make use of that data to meet their business objectives? Um, so yeah, data as a strategic weapon and then how to organize yourself to capitalize on, on that, to meet business right. objectives. Um, I think these days, many organizations have data listed somewhere in their strategic pillars. Uh, moreover, I think many leaders these days have a decent idea of what good data looks like, um, when equipped as a strategic weapon, um, whether they do it actively in the organization or they've encountered it previously or indirectly in previous organizations. So I, th I think sort of where the challenge is, is in that second part. So using your data to meet the business objectives. Um, 
so for example, successfully executing a, a data warehouse is not trivial. Mm. Um, but then to prove the value of what you've created that it meets the business objectives, that's, that's where the hard part is. And that takes it to a whole new level. Um, uh, for example, I mean, how, how do you prove the monetary value that you brought with a, a beautiful dashboard? You, you need to do it as a leader. You need to prove the value of what you're doing monetarily speaking, but uh, a pie chart, how do you prove the value of a pie chart? How did that improve the business? It's very hard to do. And, and to this day, even I struggle to deal with that uh, in certain mm. scenarios. So to use your data as a strategic weapon, to use that analogy, I think many businesses are holding the weapon. Many of them are firing the weapon, but very few of them are proving the value or even proving that they're hitting the target. So that's sort of where I think we're at. Um, many organizations do have data in their strategic pillars. Many of them are trying to do it, but they're not measuring it. They're not hitting the target very well. Do you think data leaders are um, experiencing the pressure of now how to justify their teams, how to justify new new budgets um, if they feel that the mechanisms aren't currently in place to effectively measure the impact of data? Because nobody can argue why data needs to be collected, how technology is generating more and more of this data, um, the teams necessary to sift through it, make, make insights from it. Um, but, but then the data leaders who have not necessarily, uh, traditionally been responsible for PNL or responsible for the investments necessary in their teams, improving their worth. Are they, are they feeling that pressure now? Well, yes. I mean, as of this recording, we're in 2023 and we've had some rather large economic impacts over the last couple of years. And so I would say, especially in that past one year, it's been very evident on budgets um, that uh, we've we, basically we've had a lot of trouble, I guess, struggling to really prove the value of what we're doing to justify the budget. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I mentioned it a little bit before. I, I think a lot of it does come down to measuring and reporting on what you're doing to prove the value of what you've got, such that when you go into budgeting discussions for the next year, you've got the ammunition you need. Um, you know, you can you can prove basically empirically, you know, you gave me X budget last year. Here are the 10 things I executed on. Here is the value that it brought, obviously above and beyond the cost of the budget. Therefore, next year, I want more money to do X, Y, Z. But yeah, I think what you were alluding to and, and sort of what I said is the against that. Even if you are doing a very good job of measuring and communicating the value you're bringing, mm -hmm. you've got the economy against you. And there are some very hard realities of that that no matter how good you are with your budget and, and executing and giving value, if the organization doesn't have the money, they don't have the money. And so, yeah, it's a very odd environment that we're in right now and, and also the last year too. And how has that changed the relationship, say, between the CDO and who the data organization has traditionally reported up into, whether that be the CEO, the CFO, strategy, and so on? Has that impacted that relationship? Has it created a tighter bond between those individuals uh, or has it created tension in terms of um, where that money goes and how it's justified? Yeah, it has. Um, it has caused some tension. One thing that I, I, I do, and this is a little bit of an elephant in the room situation. Hmm. Um, I like to mention that, you know, when it comes to data and analytics, if your data warehouse didn't refresh last night or your CEO didn't get his weekly report, the organization is not going to explode. 
it's not. Operations will still keep continuing. Um, and, you know, revenue will still keep generating just because your data warehouse didn't refresh. So one of the elephant in the room is, is essentially that on the pecking order of things when it comes to cutting budgets, unfortunately, we are a little bit lower on that on that chain compared mm-hmm. to operations. Mm-hmm. You still want your, let's give you an example. So imagine you're McDonald's and you have a, um, a point of sale system. Obviously, there's a lot of analytics you run on that, weekly, daily sales reports. That's all good stuff. If those disappear, you're still going to be able to take orders. Conversely, if your POS system shut down, your business shuts down. And so in this example, the application layer is much more important than the analytics layer. And so when it comes to budgeting and when it comes to relations, guess where the money's going? It's going to running operations, it's running um, applications. And to take this to sort of what you're talking about, that means that there's less power, less influence that CDO offices will have when things are in a crunch. Amazing. Thank you for that. Okay. So that's a great transition. Um, let's talk AI for the, for a couple of minutes. Um, so obviously it's moving so fast, it's hard to keep up with it. Um, aside uh, from say maybe web 1.0, uh, which you know from some accounts ran from mid nineties to mid thousands, and perhaps maybe in the last few years at a much smaller scale, in my opinion, with things like metaverse and NFTs and, and such, and the hype that would surrounded that, I personally haven't seen quite anything like AI in terms of a of a business driver uh, in my lifetime or my career uh, trajectory. So now, in terms of AI as an opportunity, you know, I feel that companies are pivoting quickly, almost uh, scrambling. I guess maybe is a better word for it. On what are those roles that are needed? What is the talent that's needed? What's the culture that's now required to sort of welcome AI into their organization? Um, how do how are they pivoting for that? Um, what's their agenda? Um, how do they create uh, an environment that, where AI is both welcomed but also sort of assessed uh, in terms of what's its value and how does it start driving the business or is it driven by the business uh, tools, etc. So, you know, what do you think? Are companies, you know, pivoting properly? Are they solidifying their skills? Are they you know, focusing on that culture, are the two mutually exclusive? Um, and how do enterprises build those departments better? Uh, because AI and data essentially are hand in hand, you know, co-dependent. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, let's talk about that for a few minutes. So a couple of, I mean, a lot to unpack there, but just near the end, sort of two questions, you know, how how do you do things better? How do you build a, optimize and build a department to be better? Um, I'll first sort of start with around, um, you know, what drives AI? Is it the use cases? Is it the people? Is it the technology? Sort of, does a cart come before the horse? Usually not. Um, So with respect to AI, I think most organizations I've consulted with um, invited their AI talent to the party without first properly building the house. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I mean is that every executive wants to say that they do AI. Right. Uh, for 10 years now, it's been, we know data science has been the buzzword, right? Um, the trendiest buzzword, I would say. So almost without fail, I see greenfield organizations who have little to no exposure with AIML, they'll put that cart before the horse and they will hire a team of data scientists before understanding the organizational use cases um, or even having a sense of how AIML should operate within that organization 
Because spoiler alert, it, it often doesn't. I mean, AI ML is not something you can just apply to every organization and every industry out there. It's fantastic for SaaS organizations, like SaaS software as a service organizations, but it may not have a place in just your mum and pa pie shop. Um, so, you know, it's nice to think that you can apply everywhere, AI everywhere, and it's great to say that you're doing it, but there are certain realities around where it's actually applicable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's a downside to this. There's a downside to hiring these data scientist teams before building the momentum and building the use cases. And we see this all the time in forums, uh, Reddit, for example, as I mentioned, I'm a big fan of Reddit. We see those data science communities often um, complaining that, hey, they've been hired by these organizations and with the promise of working on really interesting data sets, um, you know, executing their Python scripts, only to be invited into the organization, locked in a basement, writing SQL, becoming DBAs, recording VBA macros. And that's simply because there hasn't been that upfront sort of preparation prior to hiring the person. And the other obvious downside of this is having a team of data scientists laying dormant costs a lot of money. These resources are not cheap. But, um, but you know, hey, on the bright side, your CEO can go to his next dinner and and say, we're doing data science. So that's, that's sort of where the world's been for about 10 years now. Um, but I would say that for a professional consultant, it does not take much effort to define the staffing requirements for a good department in data and AI, um, to define your JDs or your job descriptions, to define your data platform, and then to go to the business and just have conversations and ask them what do they need, and then map that to data science use cases. This is, frankly speaking, not a lot of hard work for a professional consultant. We've done it multiple times per year for many, many years. Um, We have all the templates saved. So I think my advice would simply be, uh, you know, lay some groundwork, build some walls in your house, um, get some governance, get some guardrails set up for AIML, get some momentum and some appetite for AIML before you invite a team of data scientists to the party. Uh, so that's sort of how I think about, you know, getting those first steps for an AIML department sort of built. But then the next question that you raised near the end there is, how do you build a better department? So, so in my career, I've built um, three analytics departments probably in the last five years, built them from scratch. Um, so that meant coming in with complete greenfield, mm-hmm. having nothing in cloud, having to build my business case, request budget, um, get the OPEX I need to hire my headcount. Um, and so just some thoughts, I think, um, from that. One is for me, at least, it's been a pretty simple formula as I quickly alluded to. Um, What I like to do is when I first join an organization that's Greenfield that doesn't really have a department or they have a department that's not really functioning too well, um, you need to build that appetite for AIML or that appetite for data. So that usually for me meant creating a POC. Uh, That's what I call a shiny POC, something that's really, that's glittering, that's beautiful, that everyone wants. Um, It's it's essentially something of value that the business hasn't seen before. This could be a, a Power BI report, it could be um, real-time alerts, something novel, something unique that the business hasn't seen before that produces value. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, this POC normally doesn't take more than two, one, to, one to three months. So get that out there as soon as possible. You get that momentum, that appetite built. Once you have that built, take it on a roadshow. Take it around the entire business. Introduce it to business users. Get them jealous. Get them interested in that thing that you've made. Um, and then the next step is, is really quite simple. You need to get those use cases. You need to use that, that POC that you've done to b- start those discussions with the business 
and then capture what they want. What are their needs? What are their pain points? And formulate that into a list of business or use cases. Um, and if you do a very good job of those use cases, leadership is very unlikely to decline it when you put those forward for a budget request. Because yeah. I think a lot of this, when you're building a department, I'll be honest, it is it is a lot about money. You need that OPEX to hire the headcount. Um, so you need to prove it through use cases that the business has given you. So just to sort of summarize that, that three-step process, develop something like a, a POC, something that's novel, unique, that proves value to the business. Take it on a roadshow to capture your use cases, then use that as ammunition to develop your budget. Um, this can take time depending on when you join the organization. Obviously, if you join at the beginning of their fiscal year, well, you're going to be waiting quite a while until you get that budget unlocked. Um, but that that's worked well for me at every single time that I built a department from scratch. Amazing. Simon, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, really informative and uh, it was a pleasure. Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, for everyone that's listening, thank you for joining us and please visit cdomagazine.tech for additional interviews. Thank you.